Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14 is what we'll be reading this morning. We are, I was noticing last night, we are halfway through our series in Hebrews. And it, and it kind of made me a little sad. I've, I've really been enjoying Hebrews and I want it to last longer than, than how long we've already been in it. But I'm excited because we are seeing Christ more clearly. At least I've been seeing Christ more clearly. And it's been giving me more hope for my Christian walk. It's been giving me more hope in Jesus and in who we have in Jesus and what we have through Jesus. And, and seeing Jesus has been giving me hope in his promises, and I hope that's been the effect on you as well. Well, turn your Bibles to Hebrews uh, 9, verses 1 through 14. This is God's word. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was... Um, a section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year. And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have sent your Son to do what the Old Covenant, what the Old Testament sacrificial system could never do. You sent your Son, Jesus, to do what we could never do. You have sent Jesus to cleanse us, to draw us near to you, to bring us into your presence, to justify us. You sent Jesus to give us access to you. You sent your Son to shed his own blood in our place, to make our consciences clean, to eternally redeem us, so we might serve you and worship you. Father, I pray this morning that these truths might hit us, they might affect us. Father, I pray that we might truly understand that apart from you, we have no hope. But God, I pray that we would understand that in you, we have great hope of eternal redemption and true cleansing, and that we can come into your presence. Father, I am weak this morning. I am sick. God, I pray that you would Work through my feebleness, my weakness, Lord, and I pray in my weakness you would be strong. 
God, that's all of our prayers. In our weakness, Lord, would you show yourself mighty. Father, then I pray as well for all those who are hearing that, Lord, you enable them to hear from you, to be encouraged by you. Holy Spirit, come, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The people that the book of Hebrews was written to, they were tempted to go back to their old ritualistic system. They were, they were tempted to turn back to the things that were comfortable, the things that they knew, to rely once again on putting confidence in the sacrificial system, to, to feel good about themselves by those ritual cleansings. They lack faith at times. They experience doubts like we all do, right? And struggles. They need to be reminded that what they had was, it was far better than mere externals. What they had was far better than ritualistic cleansings. What they had was, was better than, than the trappings of ritual. What they had was far better than anything the world could offer them, than anything the law could offer them, than anything their performance could offer them. In fact, what they had was what the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate to them, what they had was far better than even the God-ordained Old Testament sacrificial system. What they had was better than the entire Old Covenant. The author of Hebrews, he's, he's not just speaking to them. He's speaking to us as well. He wants us to see, see, this is written by the Holy Spirit using a man to write, but really, ultimately, it's written by the Holy Spirit. And God knew that you would be sitting here this morning. And he wants all of us to know that what we have in Christ is better than any ritualistic system, better than any self-merit, better than, than any confidence we can put in our own abilities, any confidence in the flesh. What we have is better than anything we've ever known what the world can offer. What we have is better than any other system. As we learned in the chapter 8 of Hebrews, the, the priestly system of old, it was, it was really just a shadow. It was a copy. It was a copy of the real thing. And it was always meant to point for the need for something better. In, in our lives, we at times can search for significance in all kinds of things. We can search for significance in our jobs or in wealth or position or whether people like us or don't like us and, and how we feel good about ourselves and maybe we don't feel good about ourselves, whether we fit in with a certain group or not. We can, we can look for assurance in those things. But really those things are all inadequate and they're all, they're all meant to be inadequate. They're all meant to point to the fact that we need something, we need someone better to hope in. Well, the author of Hebrews, he's trying to get the people to see in these verses that Jesus has done. Jesus has done what no covenant and no system could ever do. And I believe that's what the Holy Spirit would have for us this morning. That's really the main idea of our text this morning that I think the Holy Spirit would have us grasp is that Jesus has done. Do you get that? Do you get that he's already done it? Jesus has done what no covenant, what no system could ever do. The difficulty with texts like this, though, is that sometimes they can seem very foreign, very strange to us. The first five verses, they may not make a lot of sense to us at first. I remember when I was in high school and I was just learning um, to understand the French language, and it was very strange, very foreign, and the French culture was very strange and foreign to me, and I could not relate at all. And uh, I remember our French teacher showed us this cartoon of this guy, and I'm not going to pronounce it the French way, for those of you who speak French, um, of Asterix and Obelix. Uh, these, these two Gaulish people who were revolting against Roman rule, it made no sense to me at all. It was goofy, it was silly, it just didn't make sense. I'm like, really? You're having this, what in the world is going on? It was all in French, and it was, it was lost on me. Completely foreign. But after I began to understand the language a little bit, and after I understood what, what the purpose was of why my French teacher was showing me these, these, these cartoons, 
I, I figured out, oh, he was trying to immerse us. He was trying to get us to understand French and, and really understand how French humor works and culture and those types of things. And, 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 it, and it, it did make me frustrated because I, I, I hated those videos. I, I really hated them. And, um, and it made me frustrated. I want to understand what they said because it made no sense at all. And so it made me dive in, actually, and try to understand what in the world they were saying. Now, I still don't like the videos, but, but I can understand them now. And I can understand that French humor really is stupid. And um, I'm, I'm sorry for all the French-speaking people here. I, I apologize to Hortense in advance. Um, so, um, um, boy, I got lost. I should not have said that. So, uh, I have a cold. Pardon me. So, um, these verses, though, they may seem foreign to you. Don't let that dissuade you from diving in. Um, let, it, uh, let it instead have the reverse effect. Say, you know what? I really want to understand what they are saying because God has a purpose in them for us. They are different. It's a very different culture. It's a very different context that we cannot relate to on our own. And we need to, to do some thinking. We need to put ourselves back into that. And, and really, these verses, they're, he, here's kind of what the main idea is, what they're meant to show. They're meant to show the, the old covenant, the, the sacrificial system. And they're meant to show that the sacrificial system, it was limited. And it was, it was never enough for man to be reconciled back to God completely. And, and the point of these, these first six verses... Really, if you're wondering, what in the world are all these first six verses for? And we're going to get into them just a little bit, but not a lot, because as the author of Hebrews says, we don't have time to go into that right now, so we're not going to do what the author of Hebrews said he didn't want to do. But at the same time, these first six verses, they're here to show primarily that while this system remained, there was no way, there was no way to get into God's presence. For the common man, for, for the majority of God's people, there was no way for the majority of God's people to come into God's presence. The author of Hebrews, he's taking time to show the inferiority of the old system is what he's doing. And he's, he's setting up the reader to understand that what we have is better. For us, reading in our day, these verses are to make us to appreciate what we have now. And that what we have in Christ that isn't available to us in any other way. See, their access to God through the old covenant, although gracious and good, it was limited. It was limited. And they're trying to show that here. In verse 1, it's saying that there was an earthly place of worship. An earthly place of worship. And the inference that the author is making is he's saying there's an earthly place of worship. Is he saying that this earthly place is a lesser place of worship? Although it was God-ordained, yes, it was the tabernacle that God, God told Moses to copy. It was a shadow, but it was still only an earthly place of holiness. It was limited. It was not a heavenly place. It was not a heavenly sanctuary. And then from the very outset, it was meant to reveal that it was limited, and it was meant to, to show the need for something greater. And then the author of Hebrews, he goes on to explain what he's doing in these verses. He's going on to explain where the worship took place. And it takes place in a tent. That's what a tabernacle was. And it took place in two sections of the tent, really, in, in the holy place and in the most holy place. The problem is most people were not permitted into either one of those places. You see, only the priests could go into the holy place, the place of worship. And then of that caste, of that, of that tribe, only one man once a year, could go into the most holy place. And then only with blood. In between the, the holy place and the most holy place, there would, have, there would have hung a thick, large curtain. It would have been made of a fine, twisted linen woven together beautifully. It would have been a very beautiful curtain with purple, scarlet, and blue yarn. And, and on this curtain was some symbolism. It was, a, it was symbols of cherubim. These large angels. And it signified the guarding of entry back into God's presence. You remember when we last heard about cherubim guarding entry into somewhere? It was in our last book that we went through. We went through the book of Genesis last year. God sent man out of his presence in the garden. And he, he placed cherubim with, with flaming swords to guard the way. 
And in, in some way, I think God had, had those cherubim placed there to show that there was still a guarding from God's presence. It was still limited. Not anyone could come. And then it mentions some of the ceremonial trappings of the lampstand and the table. And, and the, they had 12 loaves of bread on it as a symbol of offering to God. And, and then in the first section of the tent called the Holy Place, it tells us in verse 2, look, look down at verse 3 for a moment. He says the author, he's careful to distinguish between those two sections, between the Holy Place and the Most Holy Place. And why he's doing that is he's trying to show that as long as that first place existed, that holy place, then there was no way to get into the most holy place. As long as that whole sacrificial system, as long as that whole means of entry, the only way to enter into holy place, the most holy place was through that first section. And the only people who could go in the first section were the priests. And as long as all that stood, there was no way that man could have access to the presence of God. And then he tells us in this most holy place in verses 4 and 5, he tells us about the altar of incense and represents the prayers of the people going up to God. And the Ark of the Covenant was a manifestation of God's powerful presence. And, and the manna, he tells us of, it spoke of God's provision and reminded them that God is alone, the bread of life. And man lives by every word that proceeds from his mouth. And, and then he reminds them of the rod. Reminded people of God's miraculous deliverance in the Exodus. But not only that, it also reminded them that only the Levites. You see, that rod budded when God was showing that the Levites were the ones who had the right to come before God. And he, he made that clear by making a rod bud. Um, that, that was a, a miraculous demonstration that Aaron's line would be the priestly tribe. And then he tells that the tablets were in the Ark of the Covenant. And this was God's gracious giving of the law to them to make a covenant with them so that they could relate to God. And he tells about the mercy seat. It was a place of atonement. And the, the angels, the cherubim were symbolic of the glory and majesty of God. But the interesting thing about all of these symbols, think about it for a moment. What's he trying to do by telling us about all these symbols? He's trying to show that these are the symbols of worship. These are the reminders, the gracious reminders of who God is and God's mighty acts. But there's a problem here. The problem is no one had access to see them. Only the priests could go in and see them. No one else had access to, to even be re, to see these things. No one had access to these symbols. No one could draw near except the high priest, and only he could come near on the Day of Atonement once a year. All the symbols of God's nearness were not near the people. How sad. They were withheld from the people under the Old Covenant. The people must have longed to look into these places with a mixture of fear and wonder, but they, they dared not go or they'd die. Because they remembered the history of people looking into things, touching the ark and dying. There was no way, the author of Hebrews is trying to show us, what he's trying to show them in these verses is, there's no way to get into God's presence on our own. Not even the law, not even keeping the law, not the old covenant, no system. For all of us, there's no way for, for us to come into God's presence on our own. There's no other way that's going to get us there. There's no appearance, there's no acceptance of men. There's no, no hope that you can have in some other system or thing. No wealth, no accolades, no greatness will get you into God's presence. No religion, no merit. There is nothing and no one who can access God's presence except for Jesus. And there's no way for us to get in God's presence apart from Jesus. You see, our condition, here's the thing we need to see from these verses for us. Our condition, apart from Jesus, it's even more hopeless than the Israelites. Because, you know why? Because the Old Testament sacrificial system has been done away with. And if we try to come apart from Jesus, we have no hope. There's no hope apart from Jesus. The Old Covenant's been done away with. In the author of Hebrews, he's saying that not only was there no hope and no way to get into God's presence, all of these rituals and symbols, even the sacrifices... 
they could never really make the people clean. I thought it was interesting that God had Dale share that word this morning about an awareness of our consciences needing to be cleansed. You see, that's a, that's, there's, a, there's a need. There's a need for us to have our consciences clean. There's, we, we are more aware at times of our guilt. All of humanity, you see in, in the book of Hebrews, from, from all of humanity on, ever since Adam, there's a nagging awareness of guilt. That we have a need for forgiveness. We have a need for cleansing. And we can try to, to cleanse ourselves and do all kinds of things to make ourselves feel better. But apart from Christ, there's no way to truly be clean. And what he's trying to show in these, these other verses is that there was no way for man to be truly clean. There's no way for man to be truly clean. That's her second point this morning. I've got this stain on my front porch from a... I was frying something on my front porch. Not a good idea. Don't do that. Um, I was frying something on my front porch. It spilled. The, the grease got there. I kind of cleaned it up as best I could. I didn't realize that grease really penetrates concrete. And I, and I, I tried everything I can to get this, this stain out and try to get it clean. And I, I can't get it clean. And every time I come into my house, it's a, it's a constant reminder that, that of what I've done. It's a constant reminder of my mistake. It's a constant reminder of my failure. It's a constant reminder of my stupidity. Every time I come in my, every time I come into my house, literally, I'm thinking, what a moron. You know, I'm, I'm a moron. Oh, my goodness. What was I thinking? And every time I come in my house, there's this grease stain. I'm like, ah, oh, there it is again. I, and I need something to get it clean because there seems to be no way to truly get it clean. The, the Old Testament system, it was to serve as a reminder a constant, continual reminder. Even every time they came into the temple, I mean, every time they came into the, the tent, the place of meeting, the, the worship place, every time they came in, they saw these rituals happening, they saw these sacrifices. It was still meant to remind them that although they could be ritualistically clean, they could never fully be clean because it still had to happen every year. It still had to happen every year. It was ongoing. The priests go regularly into the holy place to perform the ritual duties. They replace the bread, replenish the oil in the lampstand. They continually enter the outer tabernacle. They were constantly performing these symbolic rituals. And the reason why there was so much symbolism in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament worship, it was, it was meant to help them understand that something greater was yet to come. Something greater was yet to come. So there was much symbolism. There was much ritual needed to show them that this is only symbolic. This is only a shadow. There is something greater to come. There's a greater cleansing. There's a greater access to come. Look at verse 7 now. It tells us, But into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. Only the high priest goes into the most holy place and only the high priest goes once a year. And he only goes taking blood as an offering for himself and the sins of his people. It was, the high priest had to sacrifice every year for himself. And he had to sacrifice every year for the sins of his people. That was meant to show them, to remind them, to be that constant whenever they entered in, to constantly remind them that they're not clean. They need, they need total cleansing. Yes, this will clean it temporarily, but this will not clean it permanently. They need total cleansing. They need a true cleansing. And this yearly sacrifice, it was meant to show them they need a true pardon for them sins. They need to be forgiven completely. But as long as this whole sacrificial system is what he's trying to tell us, as long as this whole sacrificial system was in place, as long as these rituals remained, there's no way into God's presence, no way to be completely clean, no possibility of a full pardon. For us, I believe the Holy Spirit would have us remember there's no other way for us to be clean. There's no way for us to come into God's presence except for confidence in Him. But we can be fooled, can't we? We can be fooled to putting confidence in all kinds of other things. Well, verse 8 says, By this the Holy Spirit, by all these ritualistic systems, and by the fact that there was a need every year to come in, 
By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as this first section, as long as all these rituals and all these things have to occur and this first section is still standing, there's no way because it bars passage into the holy place. The Holy Spirit was showing that the very rituals that happened every day outside the holy place, they were reminder that the most holy place, access to God's presence, it was blocked to mankind. Most people couldn't go into the holy place. Only one, once a year. Most holy place. And then only the priests could go into the holy place. And for us, most of the people in the room would be considered Gentiles back then. We would never have been permitted, ever. You see, the way into the presence of God, it was blocked. And there was no way for close communion with God or nearness with God that we can experience now if you were in Christ Jesus. I want you to stop and let that affect you. Let it make you grateful for what you have in Christ. Our condition was completely hopeless. We had no access into God's presence and we had no way to be clean. It was completely and utterly helpless. We are completely and utterly helpless on our own. We need a Savior. Let us take no confidence in the flesh. Verse 9 goes on to say, According to this arrangement... This ritualistic system, gifts and sacrifices that are offered, they cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. There was a problem with all of these things. They only dealt with the outside. They never really got to the heart of who mankind was. They didn't fix the core problem. You see, we have a heart that doesn't just need to be fixed. It needs to be transplanted. We don't have a heart that's just partially bad. We don't just have a heart to begin with that's Kind of, sort of, not good. We have a heart that's wicked and evil and that needs to be replaced. We need to be given a new heart. We need to be enabled to have desires for God that we cannot have on our own. And all these repetitions, it was meant to remind the people that all their sacrifices, they were insufficient. They couldn't bring true, inward, lasting cleansing from sins. People could never feel like their sins were fully paid for, finally. If you were living back then, I'm sure you would have longed, and I'm sure they longed for an atonement, for an atonement that was good enough to last, a cleansing that could really change, a sacrifice or someone or something that would take away your sins for good. And that's the, that's the deep longing of every human heart, whether they know it or not, whether you know it or not. We need someone to redeem us. We need someone to cleanse us. We need someone to change us. And we can't do it on our own. Those yearly sacrifices, rituals, our rituals, our, our getting up every day in the morning and praying, it doesn't make us clean before God. Only one thing does. It's the blood of Jesus. Those who had their bodies washed but their consciences remained defiled. They could not draw near to God. A better, more perfect cleansing was needed. On the old covenant, there's no way for man to be truly clean. They only dealt with externals. Look down, it says they deal only with food and drink and washings. Regulations for the, this is an important word, for the body. Regulations for the body, for the flesh, imposed until the time of Reformation. Maybe another way of saying that is regulations for the body imposed until the time of correction. What needed to be corrected was the law. What needed to be reformed was the way that we have access to God. The law was inadequate to save. It was in dire need of being corrected because it could never make man clean. I was thinking about in our own U.S. Declaration of Independence... It has this line, it's really striking. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's a, a profound, a very true, and a very good statement. The problem is, I don't believe our founding fathers truly understood it 
and got it quite right because they didn't really apply it to all men. They wrongly treated people of different ethnicities or color of skin as less than men. So the law, it was wrongful. It was shamefully discriminated against people of color. The declaration was good, but the law needed to be corrected. It needed to be reformed. All men were indeed created equally valuable before God. That's a biblical truth. All men deserved an equal opportunity to pursue life and liberty and happiness. But, but people were restricted. Certain groups were restricted. They did not have equal access. The law needed to be corrected. And thankfully, thankfully, through time, finally, the law has been corrected. And we can enjoy liberties that we were equally created for. There was a severe restriction that the law placed on people. It was a severely restricted access into God's presence. It now, it, it spoke of bringing people into God's presence, but yet the law did not permit it fully. And it was meant to create a longing for change. It was meant for the people to cry out for a time when they could come into God's presence again, enjoy unlimited access. It was meant to make them desire that. That there must be something better. In the old covenant there was this restriction. It was meant to show the arrangement of the law. It was limited. It was only for a season. It was a fundamental problem. of All these external washings. They could never get clean. They could never clean the heart of humanity. Our hearts were corrupt and needed to be replaced. And nothing you ever do can ever make you clean or keep you clean. It was never meant to. The problem that we face now is no different than the problems that they faced back then. We can sometimes think we're way superior. We're, we're different. We're more intelligent. Somehow we're more developed. No. Nothing we do. You see, there, we, we, try, we try other things. We try distractions. We try indulgences. We try passions. We, we try to get clean on the inside. We try to do away with our guilt. But no amount of those things can ever make us clean. No amount of blame shifting can ever make us feel better because deep down, it, we know that we're not really better. Even if we don't want to admit it. You know, people take different, all kinds of ways to, means of, of ways out. People try cutting and that's not the answer to feeling closer to God. It only makes you feel worse and more ashamed. Serving in a soup kitchen for Thanksgiving, it doesn't make you a better person. No amount of lying or manipulation, no amount of deceit or covering up, it's going to fix the problem you have. Not even a heroic amount of self-effort is going to make you different. Do you get that? Do you feel that? Do you know that? Do you rejoice in that? We need to be clean from the inside out. But here's the good news that we have. Scripture tells us, the time of reformation has come. Thanks be to God that Jesus has now come. He has completely reformed. And what, he said, what it says is that Jesus has secured eternal redemption. And He's done with the law and the covenant and no other system could ever do. Jesus has secured eternal redemption. That's our third point this morning. Jesus has secured eternal redemption. Look at verse 11 and 12 together. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. See, all of these things are meant to show us the glory of what we have in Christ Jesus. The glory of the redemption that we have, that He has done what we could never do. All of this system, the tabernacle, it, what it represented, it had to be done away with in order for the holy place to be opened up. In the New Testament, we don't need the symbols of the Old Testament worship 
We don't need them to point to something greater in our worship because we have the reality. We have the reality of Jesus Christ. There is nothing greater. There's no greater, no fuller sacrifice to be made. Nothing we can add. Jesus has come and he's greater in every way. You see, Jesus has come as our high priest and he's He says he's gone into the true tabernacle. No shadow, no earthly copy. He's gone into the place where God dwells in unapproachable light so that now we can enter in. He's done away with that outer tent. He's gone into the true tent. And he says, come into. Come into God's presence. He's replaced. He's done away with that first tabernacle. We enter in now through Jesus and Notice it says that Jesus is the high priest of the good things that have come. Are you living in the good of that? Do you believe that those good things have come? Or are you still thinking, no, I, I'm still not clean. I'm still not forgiven. I'm not redeemed yet. I, I, I don't feel that. I don't really truly believe that. The scripture's for you. It says, no, these, Jesus has already brought these good things doesn't say they're about to come or might have come or will come. It says, Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. Jesus mediates good things to us and we have good things in Christ already. Amen? Amen. He brings... He brings freedom from condemnation. Although we deserved condemnation. He brings nearness to God when we deserve separation. He brings blessings from God when we deserved punishment. He was condemned for us, you see. He was separated from God in our place. He was punished instead of us. He brings good things. What are the good things that we have? What do we need to remind ourselves of every day, every morning? We need to remind ourselves when we begin to put confidence in our abilities in the flesh and what we do in our performance and rituals, when we begin to lack confidence because we don't have those things. We need to remind ourselves every day that we have complete forgiveness. This is the good thing that has come. We have complete forgiveness. We have freedom from slavery to sin. We have eternal life. We have confidence to come into God's presence. We have a new heart. You may not feel like you have a new heart. But if your hope's in Jesus, you have a new heart. Behold, the old is gone and the new has come. We have the ability to be God's people now when you could never come into his presence before. What are the good things? We can know God. No war. Last week, no more remembrance of our sins ever again. These are the good things that we have. The question really is not whether we have these good things in Christ. It's whether we're living in the good of them. Whether we're applying them to our lives. Jesus entered in the most holy place once and for all by offering up his own blood. These Levitical priests is telling us about, they, 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 they could not stay God's wrath, but for one year at a time it It did not bring all the good things that we enjoy now. It didn't bring access into God's presence. But Jesus has secured eternal redemption. Maybe you're wavering in Christ. Maybe you're wondering, well, am I really eternally secure in Him? How can I know? How can I be sure? I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I continue to sin and I don't want to sin, but I see that I keep sinning and the good that I want to do, I don't do. And and I I find that the stuff that I don't want to do is the same things that I keep on doing. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He has done what we could not do. Jesus has secured an eternal redemption. If you are in Christ, you are not temporarily redeemed. You are eternally redeemed. Let that give you joy this morning. 
What does this redemption mean? To, re, to redeem is to buy back. It's to, to pay for something. It's to, to pay to redeem slaves who were once taken in somebody else's possession. You see, we were all slaves of sin. You were once possession of the evil one. You once belonged to the realm of darkness. We're all slaves of sin. We're all slaves to our own sinful desires. We were all deserving God's judgment for our sins. And what has Christ redeemed us from? He's redeemed us from bondage. He's redeemed us from enslavement to sin. He's delivered us from wrath. He's given us a once and all forgiveness. He's freed us from the guilt produced by sin. If you are wallowing in guilt, stop wallowing in guilt. God has freed you from that. Put your faith and trust in hope in His eternal redemption. Stop hoping in yourself. You never have to fear again if you're in Him. Oh, that's good news. Then in verses 14 and 15, He explains that unlike the ceremonial system that can never make the conscience clean, Jesus is the one who can truly make us clean. It's our fourth point this morning. Jesus is the one who can truly make us clean. The blood of animals in the Old Covenant, it did have some limited effectiveness. It was able to make his people ceremonially clean, it's saying in verses 14 and 15. After they had become ceremonially unclean or defiled, they could come into the place of worship. They were considered clean outwardly. But these, the problem with those things is they only purified the flesh. It was only external, symbolic. It could, it could never clean the conscience imagine that if our conscience could never be clean and unlike animals though who can never truly you know an animal could never represent a person if we go into a court case and a dog comes in and somehow the dog miraculously can talk and the dog says your honor I'm representing him I'm standing in his place the judge would think this is a joke A dog can't stand in the place of a person. He has no worth. He doesn't have the same value. And yet Christ has come, not only as a man, taking the place of a man, but he's come with infinite value, infinite worth. And he stood in our place knowingly. And his blood, it says, purifies our conscience from dead works. That is good news. It purifies your conscience from dead works. You don't have to put confidence in your flesh or what you're doing anymore. You don't put confidence in how good of a Christian you seem to be. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to have your conscience hope in those things that can be purified from all these dead works. You see, because Jesus, what is saying, he was spotless without blemish, his incalculable worth, His dignity, it guarantees the the inestimable value of his sacrifice. And his sacrifice does the one thing that no other sacrifices could ever do. You see, his sacrifice alone removed the guilt and sin that kept us away from the presence of God. Did you notice that? In Christ, it's not about externals any longer. He purifies our conscience from dead works. Why does he give us a pure conscience? So we might serve the living God. The last five words in chapter 14, they're important. Look down in your Bibles. It says he redeems us. And he purifies our conscience from dead works. And look at these five words. It says, to serve the living God. The kind of serving he's talking about in this context, it's the serving in worship. Before, only the high priests, only the priests could serve in worship. And only the high priests could serve in the most holy place. And even then, it was only serving in front of symbols. But now... Here is the good news for you and I this morning. And I want to close in worship in a few minutes. But Jesus has made a way for us to freely worship God before his throne now. Not only has he made us clean. Not only does he bring us into God's presence. 
but he brings us into God's presence with a confidence that we can be free with no hindrances and we can freely worship God with all of our lives lived before his presence. The fifth and final point is really that Jesus enables us to freely worship God. He saved us so that we might serve the living God. He didn't save us to serve ourselves. Serving ourselves is enslavement. We were already free to serve ourselves. And by nature, we serve ourselves and our own desires all too well, don't we? I know my natural inclination when I've had a long day, it's to sit on my couch and say, Hey babe, could you get me a glass of water? My natural inclination is to to have someone else serve me. We were already free to serve ourselves, and by nature we serve ourselves in our own desires. The problem was we could not before serve God as he required. But now, but now Jesus enables us to be free to worship, to serve him, and our sanctified desires. Now he's, he's given us a new heart and new desires for him to serve the living God. The whole purpose of Christ giving himself to purify our conscience from dead works is so we can serve the living God. Jesus has made a way for mankind to be accepted by God, to, to come back into his presence again. You ever wonder, why is Hebrews so focused on Christ opening up the way for us to have communion with God, to be in his presence? Why does it talk so much about God's presence and, and the differences between the Old Testament system and ours and Better yet, why does the whole Bible have something to do with man being reunited back to God? It's because in the garden, listen, in the garden, in Genesis, you remember, God created man. He created man to be with him. Man's perfectly designed home was the place where God was. That was man's perfectly designed home. That was man's intended place to live, to live all of his life freely, unencumbered was in God's presence. God created man to have fellowship with God, to walk and talk with him, to trust in him completely, to find fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in God's presence. And he gave man everything to freely enjoy worshiping and serving in his presence. But in the fall, man was kicked out of the garden. You see, though, mankind was always designed to be at home in God's presence. And there's this longing in our hearts that we have, that is fulfilled in Christ Jesus to be in God's presence. We were made to only be truly satisfied in God's presence. There's no better. There's no air sweeter. There's no pleasure greater than knowing God and being with Him forever. All of the Old Testament after the creation is a story about God's great plan to bring a people to Himself, to reconcile man back to God about God's promise to one day make all things new again, about God's promise to bring hope and salvation to his people. And then you see in the New Testament the unfolding and fulfillment of that glorious plan in the person of Jesus Christ. Why does Hebrews spend so much time talking about Jesus as our great high priest and reconciling us back to God, redeeming us and bringing us back into his presence? It's because we were meant to be in God's presence. The world as we know it is not meant to be our true home. We can't find satisfaction, fulfillment here. We should not look for it here in people, circumstances, situations. We are meant to be truly at home in God's presence. To walk and talk with God in the garden. And here's the good news. And I'll have the band go ahead and come up forward now. It'll be great. The good news is that we don't have to wait to have fellowship with God. We can have fellowship with God now through Jesus Christ. We can know God. We can speak with Him in prayer. We can worship Him. We can serve Him. We can live all of our lives for Him freely as we were designed to do beginning now. Do you know the feeling you get when you feel like you're made for something more? Something more fulfilling, something greater. 
It's meant to remind us that we were, we were made to do everything for God. That's, that's the greater thing we were created to live for. We were created to live for Him. To do His work. Not to live for ourselves. We were created to worship Him. To have fellowship with Him. He's the something greater that we long for. We can know God through Jesus. You see, Jesus came to redeem a people to Himself. To undo the effects of the fall. Undo the consequence of being kicked out of God's presence. Being barred. Remember that? Being barred by cherubim from ever entering again. And then remember Adam, okay, being barred by cherubim. And then that, that curtain between the holy place, that outer place that still stood back then, and the most holy place. There was cherubim on the outside of that. What are these symbols to show us? Do you remember when Jesus died? Do you remember what happened? The temple curtains were torn in two. The cherubim were parted. The blockage was removed. Access into God's presence was freely granted once again to all humanity. Oh, in heaven there must have been all so great a rejoicing by all the saints of old who died before Christ when they saw the way has been parted. Now humanity can freely come into God's presence. This is the beginning of our restoration. What, what humanity ruined, Jesus will all make, make all things completely new again. And after we grow old and our bodies have worn out or when some of us die through protracted illness or maybe suffering or maybe some will die young from circumstances unknown, we can all rest and trust that if we're in Christ Jesus, He's going to usher us into the very presence of God. Not just in spirit, but in reality. And one day, all those who trusted in Jesus as the Redeemer will one day see God face to face. That's a better hope. A better promise because Jesus has done what no other covenant and system could ever do.